You're listening to the Crossroads Grace Podcast, a podcast of Crossroads Grace Community Church. To learn more about our gathering times and ways you can get involved, check out our website at crossroadsgrace.org. Good morning, 11.30. Hey, my name is Pastor Brian. I'm the lead pastor here. I'm glad that you're with us here today. It's going to be an amazing, amazing service for all kinds of reasons, not just because we've got food trucks and cars and all that stuff going on, but God's going to do something special today. I just have a feeling. But uh, my name is Brian. Again, I'm the lead pastor. Our mission statement is that we exist to lead everyone to discover Jesus and follow him fully. It just means we want you to have at least one person in your life that you're praying for, you're connecting with, bringing them to church so that they might discover Jesus, follow Jesus, and then lead somebody to do the very same thing. So again, we're glad that you're with us. And if you're joining us online, want to say hello to you. Always want to make sure I give a shout out to our online chat host, which is April. April, thank you so much for all you do. If you are interested in being a chat host, April can tell you more about how to do that. And we'd love for you to help us out and from the comfort of your own home, if you'd like to. But we are in the last week of our series that is called Face Up Relationships. And I don't know, man, it has been a great thing. God's been doing some work these past three weekends. And I, I have been encouraged by the conversations that I've heard people having around their dating life and their finances, and then last week's message on, on sex, uh, that just great conversations. But if you're brand new and you're like, what is he even talking about? I'll pull you up to speed because God, again, has been doing some cool things and stirring things in our relationships. Because the series is really all about this idea of how we should be showing our relational cards to each other and not keeping them to our chest. Because in cards, most of the time, don't you kind of keep them to the chest so you don't, the other person doesn't know? Because they're the enemy, right? You want to beat them, and if they saw your cards, then they're going to get the drop on you, so you don't want to ever show them. But in face-up relationships, what we kind of realize, we're not enemies of each other. We're on the same team. So, so keeping things from each other only serves to destroy our relationship from the inside out. And what usually happens is when we kind of keep our cards to the chest is that jealousy comes up. Then we have assumptions and confusion. And there's even some cases where you start to hate one another. And I do think it's really important for us to just acknowledge that fact. That when all that stuff is happening in our relationship, in our marriages, we often sometimes never stop to consider it. We don't stop and pull ourselves to an elevated position and instead what we do is we, we relegate ourselves to the fact that we're going to fight it out in the mosh pit of life. And as we do that, we're tossed back and forth and our, our relationship becomes a mess and we just start to think, well, I'm convinced there is no hope possible. But that is exactly what Satan wants you to do. He wants you to live your life in a state of confusion. That will, that, will, that will bring you fear and it will cause your relationship to never, ever be exactly what God wanted it to be. And, and we see this with everything that we've looked, looked at so far. So in our dating life, Satan wants us to not trust God, but instead trust our feelings and our emotions and what we want right now, whatever makes us happy. And the result of that creates a mess. Romans chapter 1 is very clear about what happens. It says, therefore God gave them over to their sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and created things, created things, rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. So 
what happens is, is that when we choose our way over God's way in, in, date, in dating, we have chosen to fall into the confusion that's caused by Satan. And when it comes to our finances, when we choose not to follow God, what ends up happening is that it leads to a life of debt and bondage because we have to do whatever the world tells us to do. That's why Proverbs 22.7 is one you should always remember. It says, the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. Jesus would actually say in Matthew chapter 6 something similar. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either you're going to hate the one and love the other or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Satan would, want, would love nothing more than to have money be the reason that you're separated, that your relationship blows up, because he's, he wants you to choose him or choose money over God. He, he wants you to choose what you want over what God wants. And then certainly we see this happening when Satan gets to the middle of, our, of, of sex and our relationships, either before we're married or when we're married. Now, when we're married, he just, he's kind of wanting you to keep secrets from your spouse because he knows that you can then use, he knows that you'll use sex as a weapon against each other. Uh, we, we read about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians 7 says, Do not deprive each other except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So that, that's what he wants. Now, that, that's in our marriages, but in our, it, when we're not married, he wants you to jump off sides. He wants you to have sex before you're married so that, that that way he can bring shame and guilt into your relationship before it ever even begins. And it's why Hebrews chapter 13 reminds us of how we should approach it, where it says marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure. For God will judge the adulterer and all the sexual, sexually immoral. So, so that's what he says. But, but so that's all, that's all happening. But here's the thing. We have to be smarter, I think. Because when we know all of that stuff is happening in our dating life and in our, in our finances and our sex life, it, it, we know that it's harder and we know that it's confusing when we keep our cards to the chest all the time. And there is no doubt that this will happen in your, in your life as no matter how much you want to try to justify what you're doing so that you can continue to do what you're doing, deep down you know that there is a tension that's created. And if we know that, then at some point, don't we have to hop off the crazy train and try something else? I, I mean, pl please, just, I mean, let's just think logically for a second. Why do we still see so many marriages end, end in divorce for the exact same reasons? Why do we see cheating, tearing relationship, relationships apart over and over? Why can't we, we see that the love of money never ends up in happiness, no matter how much you have or how little that you have? Can't we, at the very least, say there's something evil that's behind this? But what happens is, is instead of submitting to what God says is right and turning the other way, here's what we'll do. We assume that we will become the exception to the rule. Yeah, so what we do is we'll walk over the rubble of all these like destroyed relationships and we'll kind of shake our head at them and just be like, man, how, how dumb are they? They couldn't get it right like I'm going to get it right or like we're going to get it right. Except you see what happens all the time is that you're going to end up just like that. You are destined for the same destruction and you're going to end up being a, a, simply a teardrop tattoo under the, under the eye of Satan as he claims another victim. That's what will happen. But, but God has such a better way for us. And it's not found in keeping secrets from one another. But instead it's found in having a face-up relationship that shows all of our cards. 
It's about what Solomon would tell us to do in Proverbs chapter 4. He says, let your eyes look straight ahead, fix your gaze directly before you, give careful thought to the paths of your feet, and be steadfast in all your ways. Do not turn to the right or to the left. Keep your foot from evil. So when we have a transparent relationship, we're choosing to keep our eyes on Jesus instead of ourselves. And when that happens, so many of our problems, both in our personal life and in our relationship life, will be solved by simply having our eyes on the right thing. When, when we take our eyes off of, of what God wants, then we're forced to look at what only we want. But God says, no, no, just follow me. And what will end up happening is that we're going to allow our relationships to, to be holy and not full of holes. Where, where our relationships are full of hole and what leaks out of there is, is joy and peace and contentment and fulfilling, right? Because, because that's what happens when we have relationships that are full of holes instead of having a holy relationship. Because all of us, all of us want to have good relationships. We want them to be healthy, we want them to be fulfilling, we want to have peace in them. And that starts when we stop having secrets and we start focusing our attention on Jesus. Especially in the final face-up relationship category we're going to talk about today, and that is with parenting. That there may not be a greater stress in a marriage than having kids, right? Like, I mean, I mean to tell you that kids will test every fiber, every nerve of your being imaginable. Right, like my wife and I, sometimes we will come to the end of the day like a couple of soldiers after being ambushed by the enemy. You know, like you're just like, ah, hey, are you okay? You all right? You know, we got to check you for damage. You need the medic, you know, like you got to check everything. It's a battle out there. Can I get an amen from any fellow parental soldiers in the house today? Anybody? I see that hand. It's fatigued. It's a little bloody, but you're going to make it through. Like I get you. And if you're a student out here today or if you're joining us, you just need to hear me say something, okay? We love you more than you'll ever know. But there's days we don't like you. Okay, right? Hey, and students, you know that's true because there's days that you don't like us and you tell us all the time, all right? Why is that? Because parenting is a very interesting dichotomy if you break it down. After all, we pray sometimes for years for God to bless us with a family. We dream of having kids and a family we love. And that's Sheree and I, we, we prayed for that for years and years and years. But yet there are times as a parent that you honestly ask yourself, what was I thinking? Like really, you know, like what would it be like not to have kids? And, and the reason that we feel is not because we don't love our kids. We love them. We would die for our kids. But the reason is because parenting is so hard it is so hard. It is the ultimate emotional, physical, and most spiritual Rubik's Cube in the entire world. And every day, you're just hoping you can line up enough colors to somehow like get them all fed, maybe get them to school and back to school. And at the very least, the bottom line, that you have the same number of kids you started the day with that you ended the day with. Am I right? Like you're just praying. And that's before they become teenagers and hormones and all that chemistry stuff. After that, pfft, no hope. Like, just like hands in the air. But, but as, as amazing as kids are, and as a blessing that they are to our family, it is no doubt a stressor in our relationships. And more times than not, how we parent our kids is the main point of conflict. Because very rarely are we ever on the same page about how to do it. One of the main reasons that this happens is that every single one of us comes into marriage, into parenting, with our individual experiences from being parented. 
So our moms, our dads, our grandparents, our lack thereof of those things has shaped our approach to parenting based on how we were raised. One person comes in with, with uh, growing up in a house that there was rules and expectations of it, and another person comes in, man, just kind of looser household, anything goes. One person may have had, been like a helicopter, had a helicopter parent growing up. The other person might have had to find their parent at the park because they had wandered off and talked to somebody else. Like, that was their life. One person might have grown up and you say thank you and you're polite to strangers and when you get things, other people, they're raised by wolves. Like, I don't know. Like, that's just their thing. Like, I mean, I mean I, I, can't we see that we all have these past parenting experiences that we come into the relationship with? But this is where we get in trouble. Because it is pretty rare for us to share those thoughts, those baked-in tendencies with each other. The only way that you identify them is when they come out in the middle of parenting. Because I have yet to find where you can just, like, lease with the option to buy a child for a couple of years to practice parenting, you know, like, and understand. No, no, it's only when you're playing the game that you start to notice your teammate doing something a little bit different than you thought that they would do. Like, oh, didn't know you were going to do that, right? So we really are parenting without, without ever showing our cards to each other. And that's not to say that what you're doing is right or wrong. It's just saying that you don't know what you don't know. And when there's division in parenting, it causes confusion with your kids, strife in your marriage, and it can end up pitting the mom and dad against each other. And oh boy, when that happens, these kids have a heyday, don't they? Right? They could play you like a fiddle when they know that's happening. Which is yet another reason why making sure that when you're dating guys that you have these conversations and are on the same page with that. The idea of being unequally yoked will start to show itself really, really big when kids start to come into the conversation. But what can change that from happening is when all the cards are on the table and creating this unified front in parenting. And by taking the time to, you know, like look at how God desires us to parent and to raise our family, here's what happens. There's no longer mom's way and dad's way. It's just the way. And what we're doing is not only settling our home and setting our home for success up to have God be the center of it, but what we fail to realize is that we're setting up our future, our kids' homes so they, when they start a family, they can have the same thing. A foundation that shows all of their cards with each other all the time and seeks to have a family that honors God in all that they do. And so I know, you're probably like me at this point. You're like, sweet, let's do this thing. Let's, let's just open up our Bibles here. Let's find out how to do this. Let's get some scripture maps out. Like I'm ready to go, PB. And, and do you want to know the hardest part about being a Christian parent? Here's the thing. There isn't one stinking example in this whole Bible of really good parents. Not, not even remotely close. They are all a hot mess of brokenness, either as parents or in their personal lives. And I know you're saying, oh, Pastor B, I got you. Man, Jesus' parents, Mary and Joseph, right? Come on. They had it all together. Well, like, let's just look at Luke chapter 2 for a second, okay? Luke chapter 2 says, after the festival is over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began to look for him among their relatives and friends. Of course, it's always the aunt's fault, right? You know, it's got to be their fault, right? When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem for, to look for him. 
After three days, they found him in the temple court, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Now, I read that verse on some of those days when I'm having a bad day as a parent, and at least I could fall back and say, well, at least I didn't lose God today. Right? You know, <laughs> they lost Jesus for three days, y'all. So don't feel bad if you're a little late picking Johnny up from soccer practice this week, okay? As long as he hadn't been there three days, you're doing better than Mary and Joseph, all right? So just think on that. So we, we all, here's what we're going to have to do. Since the Bible doesn't have the first book of parenting in here, what we got to do is we have to harvest God's word and apply it in a very practical way today. And all the while, what we're doing is knowing that this is not a foolproof plan to create perfect kids. Okay, I'm just going to prepare you for that. They're still going to mess up. You're going to still mess up. We still need Jesus. But the reason it's important is that deep down, all of us want nothing short of than to be great parents. There's, there's not one person in here that when they held their child for the first time, looked at them and says, oh, I love you so much. Like, I promise to be a mediocre parent, right? You know, right? And then I want to raise you to be wildly unsuccessful. Like, no one... No one ever does that. No, we want our kids to be raised really well, to grow up, and what does society tell us? To be productive members of society. But then as, as followers of Jesus, we, we want them to know Jesus. We want them to grow up to be a light in this world. We, we want our kids to look back on their childhood with fond memories and to have known that, man, they were loved really, really well. And, and, and the thought of not doing that is really overwhelming. It's what keeps me up at night all the time, more than anything else. Especially when I go through a day where I didn't really have an A-plus rating as a parent. Because some days I, I'll lose my temper. I'll, I'll say things that I shouldn't. Uh, that was yesterday for me, by the way. Yeah, yeah. you would think that, that when I'm preaching a message on parenting, I would hold it together for at least three days. Nope, screwed up yesterday. Right, just totally did it with my son. So, and, and then some days I'm selfish, I'm lazy. I, I might miss a chance to pray with my kids before they go to bed. I'll, I'll rush through bedtime because I'm just flat out tired. I'll give them anything but a good example of what Jesus looks like. And it's on those days that it weighs on my chest. It's just this heavy, heavy weight. And I wonder, is this going to be the day that they're going to look back on and hate me for? Is, is this the moment that the counselor is going to have to bring them back to later in life to figure out why they're so broken? What is, what is God going to say to me about that moment? Because I truly believe what the psalmist says in Psalm chapter 127. I believe it's true. He says, children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents in court. So I know, I know that God has given Sheree and I, our beautiful kids, Aniston and Easton, as a, as a gift, as a blessing, to raise them, to love them, and to show them Jesus. That they are a blessing, and frankly, I don't want to mess that up for them or for God. So when I uncover these next five cards for you over the next few minutes, I want you to know I'm preaching to myself as much as I'm preaching to you. That God has impressed on me this burden to look deep within my own soul this week. 
And that although I, I know that it won't always turn out this way, for a lot of different reasons, I still hold on to the fact that Proverbs 22.6 is still true. Where it says that start children off on the way that they should go, and even when they are old, they will not turn from it. So if we agree that we want to raise godly kids, we cannot do that by fear. We have to do it by faith. That God is the one that loves our kids more than we will ever love them. And that what we should do is entrust them to him every day. And so our job is to raise our kids to be united, as a united front as parents, so that they can live their lives for Jesus and show them by how we live, how they can do it too. So with all of that in mind, I'm going to talk through these next five cards that are critical for a face-up relationship when it comes to parenting. And, and here's what I want you to kind of hang on to as we walk, on, walk through this, is this idea. That same-page parenting will change your family's story. Same-page fa- uh, parenting will change your family's story. And, and also, let's just be honest. I mean, we know that there is like, both parents are in the home. We also know that there's co-parenting that happens. So I understand co-parenting is a big, big deal. It's also important to be on the same page with that because same-page parenting can change your family, the whole story. So, so whatever season you may be in, I want you to listen to what God has for you as we uncover these. No matter what it might be, single, married, divorced, cope, it doesn't matter. I want you to lean in. I want you to listen. So we're going to look at them together. Now, card number one is this. I want you to be mission-minded. Mission-minded. We have to have a mission as parents for our family. Uh, Stephen Covey was a famous author. He wrote this book called Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. In it, he said that begin with the end in mind. It's a very simple statement, a very simple challenge to all of us to really know, like, if we want to get to where we're going, we need to know that first if you ever have a chance to get there. So really, the first question we should ask as a family is, what do you want your family to be known for? What's your mission? I think that as parents, we forget that part, that that we have never asked God, what have you called us as a family to do? What do we want to be known for? And if you know that, then what do you do? All the decisions that you make after that flow out of that, after a common mission. Now, in our household, we are known as Team Hunt. We've taken so far, my license plate says Team Hunt on it for crying out loud. Like, we see ourselves as a team, and we carry that with a lot of pride. And the verse that our family kind of subscribes to and holds on to is found in Joshua chapter 22, verse 5. It begins saying, but be very careful to keep the commandments and the law that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you. Now, here's our verse. To love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to keep his commands, to hold fast to him, and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. That's, that's our verse. And so our mission as a family is to love and follow God and serve him in all that you do. Now that, that's the direction we're going. So the first thing that we need to do is have a mission, an end goal, so that we can try to reach that as a family, and it prevents you from like being scattered. Being scattered. So do you have a family verse? Do you have a mission statement that you've kind of worked together, something simple? In order to do that, you need to know what card two is, which is priority parenting. Priority parenting. In order to have a family that loves God, you need to have priorities that match that. Here at Crossroads, we continually preach about this idea of the pyramid of priorities. It's the way in which God wants us to organize and prioritize our life that creates the right relationships, not only with him, but with each other. So the pyramid of priorities is simply God, spouse, kids, and everything else. God, spouse, kids, everything else. We need God as a number one relationship, second is our spouse, third is our kids, and everything else includes your job and your hobbies or anything other than those top three. But those top three, God, spouse, and kids, bring you the most joy. They must be in that right order in order for them not to become idols in your life. 
And so what we say is that God's spouse, kids, everything else brings you the right rhythm, the right priorities in your life in order to do that. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus would say something and encourage us with. He says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So, so important. He says, seek first the kingdom, God number one, everything else he's going to give you after that. So the question we have to ask ourselves in relation to that is, what are our family's priorities? What are our family's priorities? Which means that priority parenting is being intentional about how you interact with your kids and you raise your kids. Maybe asking yourself, where do sports fall in your pyramid? That's something we wrestle with all the time. It, does it affect whether you go to church or not? Do the kids make the decision on where you go to dinner or on vacation or other events in your home? Or do you as the parents still have control of that? Are you still dating your spouse and showing your kids that your wife is the second or your husband is the second most important relationship in your life next to God? Do your kids see you reading the Bible? Do they see you praying, making God your top priority in your life? Guys, all of these are tangible indicators of where God is on your priorities. And, and let, let me just read some statistics here for you a second. Because these statistics are going to tell you, are going to come from secular sources. They're not like a church group that did it. But they're going to talk to you about, not only about your marriage, but also, you'll see how it spills over into your family too. So let me read a few of these to you. A study done at Harvard School of Public Health revealed that regularly attending church services together reduces a couple's risk of divorce by a remarkable 47%. Scholars have found that how often a couple attends church together has a strong impact on marital stability. The more often they attend, the stronger their marriage. But attendance is not the only factor that they looked at. The University of Virginia found that shared prayer completely accounts for the association between church attendance and a happy relationship. They said that prayer as a regular part of a couple's relationship, according to this research, is the most important spiritual practice in relational success. Prayer. And, and the, Harvard the Harvard study kind of summarized this idea of coming to church and being in community and praying together. Here's how they summarized it. It says that coming to church reinforces a couple's understanding that marriage is a sacred thing larger than the couple and must ideally last for a lifetime. It reinforces biblical teachings against divorce, pornography, and marital infidelity when you come to church. Coming to church, you reinforce the nature and importance of marital love, sacrifice, and attending to your spouse's needs. And as you come to church, it puts couples in contact with encouraging friends and peers, doing life with each other and marital education. That helped them prepare for a strengthened marriage as well as resolve inevitable conflict. So as a family that wants to honor God, here's what you have to ask. Is church an every now and again thing, or do you see it as vital to your home? Families that worship together, guys, consistently are making a statement about where God is in their priorities that will then trickle down to future families. Think about this. We can't be surprised if our kids drift from God if we never show them that he's the anchor of our life. We can't be surprised at that. Make God a priority and let every other relationship pour out of that. But to do that, we're going to have to be able to have the next card, which is, is, is directed discipline. Directed discipline. Now, there may not be, now I know that there's some school administrators and teachers in the room here, so just fight the urge to say amen too loudly after I'm about to say it. Just be prepared, okay? Okay, there might not be a more malnourished part of being a parent than, 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 than discipline. Than discipline. 
We live in a world where parents want to be their kids' friends instead of their parents. And in that frame of mind, discipline it, uh, is an obstacle to being a friend, so you don't want to do that. Which should then come as no surprise that our kids are less respectful, not only to our parents, but to authority in general. It should come as no surprise that work ethic is, is completely gone in some cases. It's a fleeting attribute, and instead is replaced with this attitude of doing the least amount possible to be able to get by. But did you know that discipline is hardwired into every single one of us by God himself? That, that discipline is actually not only what our kids need, but what we need to have with God. So we, we need to ask ourselves this question as parents. Am I raising disciplined kids? Am I raising disciplined kids? We need to be able to say, a, it's a really hard word, I know, but just prepare yourself. We need to be able to be able to say this word. We need to be able to say, no. All right, hey, let's just try this together, okay? Every, all skate together all, on the count of three. Ready? One, two, three. Didn't that feel good? Say something like that? It's important to be able to say no. Because, here's why. If our kids never hear us say no, what do you think happens when they read when God tells them no in the Bible? So it's no wonder kids are moving away from God because we as parents are more worried about their happiness than their holiness. And, and, and guys, that's just not the message of the Bible. Did you know that one of the fruits of the Spirit is not happiness? It's not in there. And contrary to what the TV is going to tell you or social media or the culture will tell you, our kids need us to step in and make decisions for them in order to teach them and protect them. Discipline is the vehicle by which we learn to embrace that no is a good thing in our life. Consider what the author of Hebrews says. Hebrews chapter 12 says, Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you're not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. So discipline is needed to shape us into who God has called us to be. And discipline, it does something. It builds in our kids self-control. And self-control is critical for their development. But discipline is not just some form of like, if you get in trouble, this is what happens. It could be seen in all areas of our life. We need to instill discipline in our kids in every way. We, need to, we, we can instill disciplines in what they eat, the chores that they do around the house, how do they spend their time and their money? Uh, when do they go to bed at night? How much time are they on video games? Like we can discipline them in all of that. All of that is an opportunity for us to teach them discipline so that they won't avoid it later, but will embrace it in every area of their life. But in order to have discipline, we actually have to have the fourth card, which is like leadership. Where most parents get off course is when they're not on the same page. When one parent can be played against the other parent, it creates division in your home that will lead to animosity between you. But like leadership is about creating unity that's based in love. 
Paul would say in Colossians chapter 3, he would say that, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. So the question we ask is, are we leading our kids in the same direction? Are we doing that? The most successful parenting is done when you are in lockstep with each other. I'll remind you where I began. You are on the same team. You are not each other's enemies. You must be consistent in curfew times, making sure that parents are home when your kids go over to play, when they can date in high school, speaking to others with respect and respecting your elders, even things like, will the baby sleep in the bed with you? Every, even weekly schedules. All these little things are important to huddle up on so that you're on leading in the same direction. Now, Sheree and I, we have quick cuddles before we go to bed each night. We pray together, but we also talk about decisions that are coming up so we're on the same page. We don't undermine each other. We'll, we'll often, like, check in on those things. We also have a team hunt weekly meeting on Sundays to, to preview the schedule ahead. We get to pray with the kids and move forward together. Sometimes it's really brief. Sometimes it takes a long time. But we always make sure that we're together and that we're working together on these things. So, again, that we're not under... And we don't scatter when the week begins. Now, whatever yours is, right, whatever your, your flow is that you want to do, that's up to you. Uh, but it's just really important that you have something that you're doing together so you're moving in the same direction, you're not scattered, any of those things are happening, okay? But this leads us to the final thing, the final card that we need to understand, and it's called being gospel grounded. Gospel grounded. I said at the beginning of this that, that parenting is hard, Parenting is an impossible Rubik's Cube to solve on your own, which is why being gospel grounded is so important and why we need help to solve it. In fact, Elijah, will you help me solve this bad boy? I'd appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. Now, as he does that, let me explain the gospel to you, all right? The gospel message is that we are sinners. We're not just bad parents. We're bad people because we are separated from God because of our sin. And we're destined for an eternity apart from him until God sent Jesus to die in our place for our sins on the cross. He, he died, but then three days later he was raised to life. And doing that, he paid the penalty for your sin and my sin, which is a gift of grace and forgiveness that he offers all mankind. And this gift of grace is available to anyone who will repent of their sin, accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And when we believe that, he's, he's, he, we believe that and we give that over to him in our dating life and our finances and our parenting, it comes together, but only when Jesus is the center of it all. Right? So the question we have to ask is, is Jesus the center of our home? That, that must be the heartbeat of our life and of our families. Because without the gospel, we can have a good family that doesn't have God. Jesus needs to be more than a cute saying above your kitchen table or your entryway when you come in your home. Jesus needs to be the foundation of your entire life. The gospel must be the grounding point for us as parents. In Romans chapter 1, verse 16, should be the anthem for every home that wants to have Jesus as the center. It says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. Parents that believe in the gospel should make the gospel the reason for everything that they do. Why do we love people? Jesus. Why do we help the poor? Jesus. Why do we give to God first out of our best? Jesus. 
Why do we work hard in our jobs and even have jobs? Jesus. Why do we wait until marriage to have sex? Jesus. Our lives and our family, our marriages, everything needs to be focused on Jesus. Because only through Jesus do we have life. So here's your homework for this week. First thing I want you to do is I want you to join us for our last Q&A session for this face-up relationship that we have on Monday at noon. If you can't join us at noon, it's fine. You can watch the replay. You can click that QR code. You can ask us questions about parenting. You'd like us to, to dissect a little bit. Myself, Pastor Dan will be there. Heather Mahoney, our next-gen director, will be a part of it. So we'd love to hear your questions about that. So join in for that. The second thing, though, is I want you to have a date night with your spouse this week, okay? And we're actually going to provide child care for you. You just have to pay for it. Like, that's all you got to do. It's going to be great, right? It's a, it's a Hume Lake fundraiser, but we'll, we'll watch your kids. But we want you to go out, have a date. Talk about these five cards together. Have a, ask each other questions about what's going on. Like, but have a date night, and we'd love to help you do that. QR code next to me is going to help you do that. But a great way to help with Hume, but also for you to connect with your spouse. But the last thing is this. I want you to commit to follow Jesus by getting baptized today. I want you to baptize today. If you've never accepted Jesus, never gotten baptized, I want it to be today. Because here's the thing. If you're serious about your family changing, following God, making the center of your life, then here's, here's what has to happen. If, if your mission is to honor God in your home, to have God be your number one priority, to be disciplined to what God tells you to do, to have, be on the same page in leading your family towards Jesus, it, to, to, to have your dating life be in the right place, to have your finances in the right place, to have your, your sex life be in the right place, then you need to know Jesus and you need to know him first before anything else. You need to know Jesus. And so today we're gonna, we're gonna offer the chance for you to be baptized. We've already been doing it past three services. My goodness, I can't tell you how many people have already been baptized. It's got to be north of 40 at this point. Like, just amazing amount of people getting baptized today. But, but here's what we got. We got the tanks up here. They're, they're warm water, full of water. They're gluten-free. Like, if that's something you're worried about, like, you can come up. Like, we'd love to have. We have a pour station. If you just can't go underwater for any reason, like, we can pour it over here. We, we'd love to do that for you. But, but we, we want you today to do it. it. At any point during our worship time, as I'm talking right now, you just go to the back of the worship center. Our team will be out there to talk with you, get you a t-shirt, get you all set up. We've got everything covered. Anything that you think of that you don't, we've got it covered. I'm telling you right now, we've got it covered for you. And we're going to have, you can hang out, do the, the food trucks, you can do all that stuff afterward, have a wet t-shirt, wet cup, great, it's awesome. But today should be the day that you do that. Get baptized because for the sake of your family, your future family, for your finances, for your, your relationship in general, this is so important for you to be connected with Jesus so he is the center of your life. Make Jesus the Lord and Savior today. So in a second, I'm going to pray for us. At any point, you just go to the back. Our team's going to meet you. We'll, we'll stay here as long as it takes. It doesn't matter to us. We want you to get baptized today. Make the decision today to make Jesus the center of your life and let everything else pour from there. Today's the day. Don't wait. Let Jesus become your Savior. Heavenly Father, Lord God, I pray your spirit would fall on this place, both in person and online. If there's anyone here that doesn't know you, Jesus, I pray that today they would realize that they're not just like, like a bad person. They actually are a sinner that's apart from you. And so, God, I just pray, Father, that you would convict in this moment that we have sinned in our lives. And without you, Jesus, in our life, we have no answer for that sin. 
But today, Father, I realize that I pray that many would simply say this, that God, I, I realize I'm a sinner, but today I realize, Jesus, you died for my sins. I repent of those sins. I repent of my past. I embrace the future that's with Jesus, and I want to follow him. I want him to be the Lord and the Savior of my life, and I want to be his disciple, and I want to follow him. I want him to be the center of me and my life and my family and my work and everything else. God, you tell us that if anyone claims your name, the name of Jesus as their Savior, that the old is gone, the new has come, they're a new creation, they are free of their sin. So I pray that many would do that, and I pray that many, many would simply stand up and get baptized today to publicly declare that you are the Savior of their life, that if you would die bloody and naked on a cross in front of the entire world, the least we could do is to have our, is to have our moment when we get baptized publicly for you. Baptism symbolizing our old life, dying to sin, coming up out of the water, washing us clean. And as we leave that tank, we walk in the newness of life. That's what it symbolizes. And Jesus, we know you did that for us. You too were baptized. So we just want to be like you. May many move in this moment, Father. Be the center of our life, Jesus. It's all for you. We love you and thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. Stand to your feet. Let's, let's sing together. Let's worship. Let's watch people get baptized. And I want you, if you're ready, go to the back. Our team's ready for you. Today's a good day.
even on the fence, today's the day, today's the day.
Man, not a bad way to spend a Sunday, eh? Yeah, good stuff. Hey, listen, the whole reason we do this is because of what we celebrate at communion, though. Remind ourselves of what Jesus did for us by dying on the cross in our place for our sins, giving us freedom from all that holds us back because of his love for us. And so in this moment, remember that his body was broken for you and for me, and we take and eat in remembrance of Jesus now. And this juice represents the shed blood of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. Let's take a drink in remembrance of Jesus now. Now, I'll just say that if for some reason you haven't moved yet, you're waiting, these guys will be happy to hang out and baptize a little bit longer. So you guys go to the back at any point. And we got nothing after this, so feel free to hang out, enjoy your time. But don't let this moment pass that you finally cling to Jesus, make him the Lord and Savior of your life, and let him be who is the center of all that you do, no matter what it is. It'll be the best decision you've ever made in your entire life. We pray. Father God, we love you. Thank you for the men and women and children that have come forward and have gotten baptized today to be able to say, Jesus, I don't care who knows. I want everybody to know that you are my Savior. You saved me from my sin. And so I pray a blessing on them as they, as they prepare to go off into this world and to talk to their neighbors and their friends and their family about the decision they made today. Might they be bold in their faith and might you protect them and guide them and give them your, give them your peace. And we're excited about the future that they have. But I continue to pray right now your spirit would fall, that you would move, and that there would be relationships and marriages restored because of you. Be the center of our life. You are worthy of our praise. We love you and thank you. And all God's people said, amen. Hey, God bless you. Have a great week. Tag, you're it. Thank you for joining us this week on the Crossroads Grace podcast. If you enjoyed this message, please rate us and subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening from. If you are interested in getting involved in our community or want to find out more information, visit us online at crossroadsgrace.org. Thank you for listening to the Crossroads Grace podcast.